This week on Blue 58, we speculate on who should be starting at right guard for the Packers next season, figure out if a wave of free agent signings this offseason actually signals a new direction for the team, and get a look at the final price tag on a couple Packers free agents. Plus, it's time to open up and share some feelings. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. We are powered, as always, by WTMJ Mobile. I am John Meerdick, your host, joined today by co-host Gary Zillaby. Gary, how are we doing? It's a great day to be great, John. Great day for some headlines, too, so let's dive right in, starting at right guard. The headline on ThePowerSweep.com, who replaces TJ Lang at right guard? The backers actually have a few options already in-house, and with Lang off to Detroit, Perhaps one of them is going to have to step up and fill his role as the starting right guard. A couple options uh, currently on the roster, as we said. Kyle Murphy, a draft pick from last year. Don Barclay, the veteran journeyman backup. And Lucas Patrick, who spent last season on the practice squad. It's also possible the Packers go the free agent route. We discussed the possibility of Jari Evans signing with the Packers. He's played the last couple seasons with the New Orleans Saints. Also possible, of course, that the Packers will do something in the draft, and we've had a couple rumors about them taking a guard in the first round, most recently Western Kentucky's Forrest Lamp. So, Gary, out of all those options, who do you think replaces T.J. Lang at right guard? I think your best bet, or at least the most popular name right now, is Western Kentucky's Forrest Lamp. He played left tackle in college, but his arms are a full inch shorter than Brian Balaga's. And that was the knock on Balaga coming out of college that his arms were too short. And he's probably got the shortest arms of any successful offensive tackle. But enough talk about arm length. Lamp's game is going to have to be inside at either guard or center, most likely. Uh, if the Packers want Lamp, it's going to cost a first round pick. If the Packers don't go that route, I think another under the radar name that's already on the roster is last year's sixth-round draft pick, Kyle Murphy. Murphy played fewer than 10 snaps last year and started taking reps at right guard and practice after Lang broke his foot this past season. Another storyline we should talk about is something that Mike McCarthy actually addressed today. A a popular theory is that the, the Packers may be willing to bump Brian Bulaga from right tackle to right guard and go on with Jason Spriggs as right tackle. Uh, but McCarthy threw a little bit of water on that today, says he doesn't envision moving Bulaga inside, and he views uh, Mr. Spriggs there as a right tackle. So it's going to be somebody else. Uh, I guess the other question I have for you, Gary, is if uh, you had to pick between somebody currently on the Packers roster and the field, meaning either a free agent or a draft pick, who do you think is the starting right guard for the Packers next year? I'll take somebody already on the roster. I, I I don't think that uh, draft pick is going to be it, but that's just my two cents. I think at the start of the season, at least for the first four or five games, it is probably going to be somebody already on the roster, uh, either Don Barclay or Kyle Murphy. Those would be my first two choices there, unless Lucas Patrick comes along. I think if they do take a guard, it's not going to be early, and uh, it's going to take a little while for them to come along. But who knows? Maybe they get somebody like Corey Lindsley, and they can step in and start from day one. 
I'm with you. I think it's going to be somebody who's not currently on the roster. Second headline we want to talk about also from thepowersweep.com today. Are the Packers actually doing anything different in free agency? They've brought in four free agents so far this offseason. Devon House, Martellus Bennett, Lance Kendricks, and Ricky Jean-Francois, as we have confirmed the pronunciation today. You could make the case pretty easily that the Packers are really changing things up. And Gary, that's that's your opinion, right? You seem to think this is really a, a new direction for the Packers. I think it's a new direction, but the fruits of this direction have started about two years ago. You might remember Mike McCarthy in the, at the start of free agency saying, quote, we might shock you this year. Jared Cook was nice, but calling his signing a shock is a bridge too far for me. Then he had in January the NFL's Ian Rappaport reporting that the Packers would, quote, go and get some free agents this year. At the time, John, I felt like, you know, same old verse, same as the first, that they'd go out and get maybe one or two guys and sign sign the rest of theirs. But Bennett, Kendricks, House, Ricky Jean-Francois all come along. It seems like the Packers have been preparing to dip their toes into free agency with more regularity about two years ago, and now it's starting to bear some fruit. Well, I actually disagree with you on this, and I think anyone listening should check out what we wrote about this on the blog, because I think this is really just the market aligning with what the Packers need. I don't think Ted Thompson has ever been slow to go out and get a free agent that he thought was a good value and fit with what the Packers need. And the Packers needed a tight end this offseason, whether it was Jared Cook or somebody else. And Martellus Bennett happened to be there and be relatively affordable. They needed a corner. Devon House was cut. He doesn't factor into the compensatory pick formula. And he's on his way to Green Bay. The same thing with Mr. Jean-Francois as well. The Packers need a little defensive line help. He gets cut and he heads to Green Bay. Uh, while I do think that you're onto something with with the Packers maybe being more willing over the past couple seasons to take a, a risk on free agents, I'm not sure this is an entirely new direction for the Packers. The hard part is just trying to determine uh, who the Packers are bringing in. Green Bay is notoriously tight-lipped about who they're bringing in for an interview or to, to see Green Bay. Martellus Bennett and Julius Peppers were both completely out of the blue when they signed with the Packers, if we had a little more context of who they were bringing in, I think it would help us in this conversation, but uh, we're, we're just making do with what we know. Yeah, I think that is very, very true, especially when it comes to something like Martellus Bennett. I, I told you at the time, like, what was he like sitting in the lobby reading magazines while Jared Cook was on the phone or something? Because <laughs> negotiations broke down with Cook and like three hours later, there's Martellus Bennett signing a contract. We never know what the Packers are doing. And I'm convinced that the Packers could fly somebody in for a free agent visit and we wouldn't find out about it until three years later. That would really be a departure if they brought somebody in like that. But uh, at any rate, there are more free agents coming to Green Bay this offseason. That's something that is clear. And speaking of those free agents, this one, not so much a headline that we've addressed on the site, but something that we think is worth uh, worth talking about here for just a couple seconds. A couple of the the free agents the Packers have signed this offseason are going to be much cheaper than originally expected, Uh, particularly Mr. Ricky Jean-Francois. 
originally reported the contract was going to be around $3 million for one year. Instead, looks like that's going to be closer to $2 million. Uh, Kristen Michael also falls into that same category. His contract is going to run about $800,000, a $775,000 base salary with a $25,000 signing bonus. Gary, what does this tell you about the Packers front office? It tells me that the Packers are going to get more yardage and more production from Michael at $800,000 than the Seahawks will get from Eddie Lacy at $4 million. And that just continues to be a really great uh, value for the Packers front office. They're, they're killing it. You know, seeing Eddie Lacy sign with somebody for that amount of money, it just I, I hope they know something that we don't know because I, I wonder if it's gonna if it's gonna work out for them. If it was anybody other than the Seahawks and maybe the Vikings, I would say, well, I, you know, I would hope that works out for you. But for the Seahawks, I hope it doesn't. <laughs> Even though I want good things to happen to Eddie Lacy because he seems like a pretty nice guy. Yeah, for sure. It it is it is tough to see some of these contracts are just head scratchers, um, and, and and then you get ones like Michael that are very reasonable or. Jean-Francois, who visited with a handful of teams, I expected him to get more than $2 million and especially on a one-year deal. Perhaps well, that's what he was looking for. I, I don't know. One contract that always jumps out to me when thinking about this offseason is Calais Campbell going from Arizona to Jacksonville. Like the, it, it, something like $45 million guaranteed. I'd have to check the exact numbers, but it's an absurd number for a guy his age. And it's it's so funny because apparently the other offer on the table was from Denver, which is, I guess, close to his hometown. And there was some talk like he was backing out of the deal with the Jaguars to go home. But then I, I wonder if he just got a look at the contract and was like, well, I mean, if that's the number, I guess I could wait and go home in a couple of years. I guess I could I'm, go home on a bye week. Right. Yeah, the plane tickets are pretty cheap when you start getting to that amount of money. At any rate, these contracts are ridiculous, except in Green Bay, where the Packers seem to be getting a pretty good deal. Before we pivot to our main topic here tonight, I want to make you, I want to bring to your attention something that we've been rolling around here for a little, little while, and that's really getting your perspective on what you'd like to see at thepowersweep.com and here on Blue 58 as well. There are a number of ways that you can reach out uh, to both Gary and myself, and we'd love you to take advantage of those and let us know what you think of the podcast, what you'd like to see on the site, and what you'd like to hear each and every week uh, from both Gary and me as we try to put together the best podcast possible. So if you think of it, sometime in the next couple days or weeks or whenever you happen to listen to this, reach out via email, via Twitter, via Facebook. Just let us know what you would like to see. What are the sort of things that you would like to see from a Packers website or hear from a Packers podcast? They may be things that we're doing already that you'd just like to hear or see more of, or they may be things that we're not doing that you would like us uh, like to see us start doing. However we can be of most service to you is what we would like to do. And uh, be sure to reach out, again, through any of those uh, avenues uh, to get your voice to us. That's the Power Sweep 1959 at gmail.com if you choose to go via email and facebook.com slash the Power Sweep or twitter.com slash the Power Sweep if you want to go one of those two routes. But just let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what we can do for you. Blue 58! Gary, it is time to bear your soul. I don't want to start that off too dramatically, but I would like to spend some time uh, offering up some confessions. Both of us together have been talking about the Packers for quite some time. 
this site in one form or another has been around for over five years now and I think it's time that we addressed some of the more outlandish things that we've said over the the last few years be it uh, on Twitter on Facebook on the website wherever this is kind of the silly weird off-season time and I think it's just time to uh, to hold ourselves a little bit accountable for some of the the things that we've said so Gary I think we're going to go back and forth here share some of the things that we've been thinking about and saying and Let's just uh, let it all out. This is a safe space, so let's do it, okay? I'm ready. All right. So since since this was my idea, I figured I would open things up, and I wanted to, to confess something. Gary, I have a confession. I once got very angry that the Packers did not sign former St. Louis Rams running back Stephen Jackson, and I posted this at the now-departed PackerPerspective.com. The Green Bay Packers were among the NFC's final four last season. However, among the last four teams surviving on the NFC side of last year's playoff bracket, including Atlanta, Seattle, San Francisco, and Packers, and the Packers, only the Packers have failed to make a significant move to upgrade their team. The Seahawks and 49ers have both upgraded their receiving core via trade for Percy Harvin and Anquan Boldin, respectively. And the Falcons added the aging but still productive Stephen Jackson as a free agent. I went on to conclude that not only did those teams get better, but the Packers got worse by not signing Stephen Jackson. Ooh. This is my confession. Ooh, John, you're forgiven. Thank you very much. I still feel bad about that because I actually wrote a follow-up piece later on saying that even though Stephen Jackson didn't end up being good, it still would have been the right move to sign him. I don't know why I thought that, but here we are. Well, Stephen Jackson was was, uh, that free agency, if I remember correctly, was directly before the Packers drafted Eddie Lacy. It was the same offseason, in fact. And so in in some respects, we just got a younger Stephen Jackson. Yeah. Um, and, and it worked out pretty well for us. Now, it, did. You know, it worked out pretty well for Atlanta, too. They won a number of games. They got to the postseason and they got to a Super Bowl last year. Not with Steven Jackson, but it worked out. It did. It did work out. Gary, give me a confession. Wow. You really want me to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do. do it, John. Oh, I'm ready to confess that I wanted to fire Mike McCarthy in November 2009. So that would have been... Two and a half years into the McCarthy tenure, three and a half years, 2006, 2007, and it would have been almost, almost directly before the Packers began a streak where they won 30 of 38 games, including a Super Bowl. And here's exactly what I wrote to all of my Facebook friends, which, if you were a friend of mine during this time, I apologize. I was reading some of my old posts, I was a weird person. Still am. I was going to say was. (laughs) So here's what I wrote. You heard it here first. Again, breaking news. By Thanksgiving, the Green Bay Packers will have a new head coach, and it will be Dom Capers. Inexcusable game strategies against the Vikings, Bengals, and Buccaneers this year, along with the inability to coach up the offensive line, means the end. I'm an optimist. No, you're not. And a huge Packer fan. But as you guys know, it's time for a change. Two things about that. First of all, I was must have been in a real rut of listening to Jim Rome because this has some sports talk hot take written all over it. You heard it here first. 
inexcusable end of the line i'm an optimist but as you guys all know it's time for a change mike i am sorry that i doubted you so did the packers end up firing mike mccarthy i can't remember no they didn't they ended up winning a super bowl which worked out pretty well for them well speaking of coaches being fired i do have another confession uh in the fall of 2005 i once started a message board thread titled this is a direct quote Mike Sherman must die. What? <laughs> John, you know. are the most even-keeled person I know. You, you, why are you putting this on tape? I, I, I have to show people how I've changed and how I've grown. And hopefully mm. the takes that I'm offering up now are not of that variety. But the Packers, as you might, may well remember, started the 2004 season, 2005 season that is, uh, with four consecutive losses, and I'm pretty sure it happened during one of those four games that I posted that to the, I think, still-functioning wissports.com. So, uh, yeah, fired that off into the internet, and I think it was deleted by a moderator within 15 minutes. As it should have been. <laughs> it was It was a good move by the moderator. <laughs> Any specific reason why you were not a fan of Mike Sherman at the time? I think it was just that things had gone so stale it seemed like the team didn't care at all it seemed like there was nothing that he could do that that just did anything to move the needle for the team at all and eh, he, he had to go a general malaise had come over you about mike, yes about mike german yes indeed well let's let's flip that john let's go from malaise to oh man this one hurts this is hard to confess but uh between you me and the rest of the internet i'm ready to do it I desperately, and I mean it that way, wanted Green Bay to trade for Tim Tebow. Oh, Gary. (laughs) Uh, I remember the precise day he was traded to the Jets. I was searching Twitter constantly throughout the day. There were fake accounts that were tweeting the Packers were interested. There were some rumblings of it, but it was nothing sincere. It was all speculation that it would be a good place for him to revive his career. At the end of the day, or at the time, I was working in Appleton, which is a couple miles away from Green Bay, and I was walking around the office, popping into people's offices and saying, hey, I think there's a chance Tebow ends up on the Packers today. I don't think anybody else really cared as much as I did. I was just such a fan of of, of Timmy at the time, and I still am. Uh, I, I remember I bought a Jets Tebow jersey on clearance a year later for about $20, which feels like the right price to pay. That is the right price. I, I love Tim Tebow at about 80% of Skip Bayless's love, and I can only dream of how awesome it would have been to have him as a backup for the Packers. But he would have ended up starting the year after because that was the year Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. So what price would have been too high for you for the Packers to send to the Broncos for, for Tim Tebow? I would have sent so a fourth you- rounder. You would have done a fourth. That's more than, that's I think what they, what the Patriots ended up trading for Randy Moss. Yeah. You know, John, nothing about it made sense. Um, It was all, it was all an emotional decision. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to basically be friends with Tim Tebow. I wanted him to trade to Green Bay, post on Craigslist that he's looking for a roommate. Hey man, I got a two bedroom apartment. You can take this, you can take this empty one and, you know, maybe we play some video games and hang out together. Um. I, you know, shoot, now that I'm thinking about it, I would have given him a third. 
Why not? Sure. Why not? Uh, well, speaking of bad quarterback-related takes, I have a confession. I once said aloud and got in a fight with somebody, a former coworker at WTMJ, saying that the Packers would not have been able to fill the Resch Center with people to watch Brett Favre's retirement speech if they opened the doors for free. Wow. 64,000 people paid to see it at Lambeau Field. I was very wrong about that. <laughs> I remember you peddling that that truth or so believed you thought it was. At the time, I don't know if I necessarily agreed with you, but uh, what made you think that way? Uh, I don't know specifically what it was. I just, I didn't think people cared uh, to watch. And I wasn't sure at the time, it wasn't clear what exactly what sort of interaction, if any, there was going to be with, between fans and Brett Favre at his retirement shindig at Lambeau Field. Because the, the early thing was that there wasn't going to be any sort of fan thing because all the stuff was sold out to corporate sponsors and, and right. things like that, as typically happens. Um, but for Favre, it seemed like a bigger deal. So I was like, who's going to care? What are they even going to see if they if they let people watch it? I was figuring that they were just going to to throw the the proceedings and the, the the awkward small talk up between the between Favre and the corporate people up on a screen somewhere and let people watch it. Well, it turned out to be a little bit more than that, but I didn't think anybody would care, and I was I was really wrong. And I guess I'm glad they were I, that I was wrong because they raised a lot of money for charity. So yeah, that was take cool. that for what it's worth. It was also broadcast on NFL Network too. I remember watching it. Was it any good? I didn't even see it. Uh, Favre's speech was okay. His his Hall of Fame speech for the in Canton was better. Uh, I I really enjoyed. Mike Holmgren gave a really really funny uh, talk before before Favre spoke. That was that was pretty good. Mike Holmgren is on my interview bucket list. I would like to talk to him. I'd I'd like to hear his thoughts just about football in general. We wouldn't even have to talk about the Packers. But that's really neither here nor there. Gary, give me a confession. Oh, all right. This this one's a little less tame than the last few, but it concerns a current Packer, and it's uh, Mr. Dean Lowry of the Packers defensive line. Now, before the season started, I underrated Dean, and I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I, I flat out insulted him. I wrote a piece for the Power Sweep and ranked the top 25 Packers under 25 years old. And there I listed Dean Lowry 19th on the list alongside luminaries such as Carl Bradford, who didn't make the team. And in front of Lowry, I ranked players like Kyle Murphy and John Crockett, who made zero impact on the season. I'm sorry, Dean. You were better than that. You deserve better than that. And I hope that you can still read my internet posts. I think he will. I think he will. The good news is that he is uh, still very young and will remain under 25 for at least two more years so you've got another couple shots to put him higher up on that 25 under 25 list gary i have a a doozy of a confession here this is going to be a a five-part confession wow for me um i have tweeted bad things to and about the packers oh dear so there, this has many parts, but it, it has a happy ending. First, I once tweeted a picture of my newborn niece to the Packers in hopes of them getting a, giving me a retweet. She was literally several hours old at the time. I can't. I, I, I have no words for you. You have to live with that one, John. That's your cross to bear. 
looking through my Twitter today, I discovered that in 2011, I told the official Packers Twitter account that I was applying for a job with the Packers and they should prepare to receive my <laughs> resume. I'd like to see the, the poor social media manager who's reading the mentions and, you know, fires down the cubicle wall like, hey, watch out for Meerdink's resume. Uh, in You're going to want to keep a keen eye out for that one. Well, fans of resumes for sure. Uh, in 2011, I outed myself as a fan of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, writing, I don't really like Buck and Aikman as an announcing duo, but I think they might be cool guys to hang out with. Hashtag <laughs> random thoughts. Oh, your true feelings about Joe Buck are, are revealed. I said a lot of mean things in the past about Jermichael Finley. I, I said a lot of them. Uh, in the 2011 season, when they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, I said, guess Jermichael Finley can stop that year of the takeover thing now. The only thing he's taking over is the league lead and drops. And I followed, I followed that up with this one. If you're looking for a scapegoat for the Packers' loss to the Chiefs, you might as well picture Michael Finley because he clearly has hooves for hands. John, do you know that the internet isn't just like a personal diary for you? Uh, I treated it as such at the time. Other people can read these. Oh. I know, I know. Uh, finally, I said a lot of things that were bad about Marshall Newhouse, and I think I wouldn't be alone there. But during a breaking news situation, he once tweeted something very mean about journalists, something like, hey, journalists, do better. And I said, hey, Packers left tackles, do better. Oh. And he, he got very mad at me for that. But there is a happy ending to that one because several years later, he tweeted something to the effect of, hey, who wants to have a Twitter feud? And I tweeted back like, hey, actually, we had one a while ago and I feel bad about it. And he said, that's okay. These things happen or, you know, Twitter turns us all into, into weird people anyway. So there was a happy ending there. Oh, happy man. ending. Yeah. Poor Marshall Newhouse. He asks you know, for such little in return. He does. Like the veterans minimum usually most of the places he goes zoom hey while i've got you here speaking of players that are heading towards the packers do you realize that there are going to be some guys coming up in the draft this year that will have been born after the packers won super bowl 31 including usc wide receiver and possible packers first round target juju smith schuster born in november 1996 uh just a few months before the packers would actually defeat the New England Patriots in the Superdome. There are some 1997 draftees out there, just 20 years old. Who are these people? I don't. I don't like this one bit. That that is yeah. There's there's a oh dear. I'm getting old. So I remember when Randall Cobb at the start of the 2012 season became the first player, first player born in the, in the 90s. 90s to score. Yeah. That's a long time ago already. I know. I, Randall I Cobb's know. old now. He is very old, and he's not even that old. I, oh, man. John, what happened to us? We were so young. Time goes by. Time goes by. We were so young. Gary, I think that's about the show for this week. Where can people find us online? Well, last week we received a flurry of passenger pigeons, and I just want to thank each and every one of you for reviving the species uh, and, and sending us your contact information. It was great to hear from you all. This week, uh, we're asking for a similar a similar ask. The Woolly Mammoth could use some help. So if you'd like to get in touch with us, revive the Woolly Mammoth 
uh, and then give give him a scroll or some kind of, of piece of paper with your information and he'll know where to go. Uh, he'll come to us and, and that'll be great. So otherwise, you can visit us at thepowersweep.com. You can also browse us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at The Power Sweep. John mentioned earlier our email address. Once again, that is thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We really love hearing from you. All of your feedback that you send and will continue to send helps John and I make Blue 58 and The Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. And smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. Better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For Gary Zillaby, I am John Meerdink. We will see you right here next week on Blue 58.